the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, you'll recall Jesus opened chapter 7 by talking about not judging other believers with a self-righteous, hypocritical, and hypercritical attitude. That's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. But beginning with verse 7, Jesus seems to abruptly change the subject by talking about prayer. That's what he means when he says ask and and seek and knock. Those are all words pertaining to, to prayer. And then in verse 12, he inserts the golden rule just seemingly out of nowhere with no apparent connection. But there is a connection, and it's important that we see this. This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're glad to have you with us in our class today as Pastor Steve takes us one verse at a time through the Sermon on the Mount. Today and in the next two classes, we will be studying Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Virtually every faith has their version of the Golden Rule. Skeptics like to use that fact against Christianity, but all it really proves is that there is a universal moral code written in our hearts. The fact that there are moral standards common to all faiths and cultures is in fact strong evidence that we were created beings. And who better to teach about the Golden Rule than the one who wrote it into our hearts? So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and consider what Jesus had to say about this well-known and generally accepted statement. Here is Pastor Steve. Well, let's open our Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read to you verses 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, meaning a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, and not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. The 12th verse of this passage, the 12th verse of Matthew 7, is commonly known as the golden rule. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, commonly known as the golden rule. And it is, without doubt, the most well-known statement that Jesus ever made. In fact, more people are familiar with the golden rule than any other verse and any other statement in the entire Bible. Even people who know very little about Scripture recognize the golden rule as the commonly accepted standard standard of morals and, and ethics. 
But the question that we need to ask at the beginning of our study today is, what's the golden rule doing in Matthew seven twelve? I mean, where, where does it fit? At first glance, it seems totally out of place. What is it doing there? How does it fit? Is it an isolated statement? Now, you'll recall Jesus opened chapter 7 by talking about not judging one another, not judging other believers with a self-righteous, hypocritical, and hypercritical attitude. That's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And then in verse 6, as you'll recall, he balanced out this truth so that we, we didn't misunderstand this whole issue of judging. He balanced out the truth by telling us that while we don't judge our brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a certain type of, of person we do judge. Sin-hardened, defiant, mockers of Christianity. Those Jesus called dogs and, and pigs because they are savage and brutal in the way that they treat and respond to the gospel. Now, that's how the chapter opened. But beginning with verse 7, Jesus seems to abruptly change the subject by talking about prayer. That's what he means when he says ask and, and seek and knock. Those are all words pertaining to, to prayer. And then in verse 12, he inserts the golden rule just seemingly out of nowhere with no apparent connection. But there is a connection, and it's important that we see this. Notice it, in verse 12, notice that Jesus introduced the golden rule with the word therefore. Look at verse 12 again. He said, in everything Therefore, therefore, treat other people the same way you want them to treat. Now, what this word therefore tells us is that the golden rule is not some detached statement that stands by itself. It has a connection. That's what the word therefore means. There's a connection. There's a logical connection to what Jesus has been teaching prior to this. In fact, everything that Jesus has to say about these three subjects, the subjects of judging, and prayer, and the golden rule, all fit together. They all fit together in a very rational development of thought. That's because these thoughts are part of a sermon, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And a sermon isn't a cluster of isolated and unrelated thoughts haphazardly thrown together. A sermon always has a central theme, uh, always has continuity, always has natural transitions from one thought to another. That's, that's just part of the structure of a sermon. And that's precisely what we find in the verses dealing with judging and, and praying and the golden rule. Now watch this. Here's how it all comes together. The connecting theme that ties all three subjects together is how to approach and treat people, meaning believers, who have glaring sin issues in their lives. In other words, as followers of Christ, these verses address the question of how do I graciously help my brother or sister take the speck out of their eye in a very loving manner, the speck of sin. Remember, that's what Jesus has been talking about. Notice verse 5 again. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, meaning first take the sin of self-righteousness of thinking you're better than somebody, that you couldn't possibly do anything wrong. Take that out of your own eye. And then, notice he said, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are supposed to take the speck out of our brother's eye. We're just supposed to do it with the right attitude, as a sinner to a sinner, not not someone who is a holier-than-thou condescending type of person. So we are to take the speck out of out of a believer's eye in a loving manner. Now, 
That's what Jesus has been talking about. That's really the thrust of of all of this, except in verse 6, he makes the statement about don't throw your pearls before swine, don't give uh, holy food to the dogs. It's really just a sidebar to the main subject. It's sort of like a footnote. The main subject here is how do I treat my fellow believer? Don't judge him, but help him with his sin. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is saying, in essence, make sure you don't misunderstand me. When I say don't judge, I don't mean that you shouldn't show some discernment and make a judgment call when it comes to those who are antagonistic to the gospel. You have to evaluate people, and if they are mockers and scoffers of the gospel, then you make a judgment call and don't evangelize them. Don't say anything to them. But see, that is is just a side issue. The main issue here, which continues, and the heart of this section revolves around the theme of how to treat a fellow Christian who has some sin in his life or her life that, that they're not dealing with. And the Lord tells us that instead of looking down upon him, instead of, of reigning over him like a judge in a condescending way, come alongside of him as a sinner. Help him deal with the sin in his life. Now, folks, that's a touchy issue. That's not easy. If you've ever had a serious talk with another Christian or someone who claims to know Christ about sin in their life, then you know it's very awkward. It's very uncomfortable. Nobody enjoys doing this. Many friendships and relationships have been destroyed because someone was insensitive, abrasive, blunt, without any diplomacy, without any love, as they just confronted someone about sin in their life. And if you're not careful at this point, you can be very misunderstood and accused of all sorts of things. Who do you think you are to speak to me about this? Mind your own business. It's none of your concern what I do. And so if we love others enough to tell them about their sin, and we certainly should, then we need God's help and wisdom in approaching them, don't we? And we need courage. It takes courage and strength and grace and wisdom, and all that. Question is, how do we do this? Well, that's the whole point of the verses before us. In Matthew 7, 7 through 12, Jesus gives us two key principles to guide us in dealing with the sin of others. That's what the passage is about. He's just picking up where he left off in verse 5. In other words, the thought here is, this passage is about how do you help a fellow Christian remove the specks of sin from his life? Jesus tells us there are two things you need to do, two key principles. Number one, you've got to pray for God's help. You've got to to pray and you've got to be persistent in your prayers. And number two, you need to practice the golden rule. Treat them in approaching them about their sin the way you would want them to treat you in approaching you about your sin. Now let's begin and, and dig into our text today. First of all, Jesus tells us that the first principle in dealing with the sin of others is, number one, pray for God's help and his wisdom. Verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, these words constitute one of the grand promises in all of Scripture about God answering our prayers. These are wonderful words. And though these these truths certainly can be applied to our prayer life in general, specifically in context, these verses are talking about looking to the Lord specifically to obtain his wisdom and help and courage in ministering to those who are in sin. So we don't want to isolate this promise from its context. 
There's an abiding principle here that's broader. But in context, he's talking about praying specifically about needing God's help in approaching someone who has sin in their life. Talking about a believer who has sin in their life. In other words, he's telling us that before we go rushing in to confront someone in their life, we first need to petition God for his help. And not only petition him, but we need to also be persistent in asking him for his help and and wisdom and, and refuse to quit and refuse to give up until we get answers to those prayers. Now, this persistency in in prayer is made very clear by the fact that Jesus uses three words, all speaking of perseverance. In the Greek language, the words ask, seek, and knock are all present imperatives, which means that they speak of continuous action. It's not a one-time deal. It's continuous. So what the Lord is telling us to do when we pray for God's help in approaching someone about their sin is to ask and keep asking, to seek and keep seeking, to knock and keep knocking until God answers those prayers. This doesn't mean that that you never take breaks. It doesn't mean that you're praying 24-7 just around the clock. It does mean, though, that day by day when you meet with the Lord in prayer, you need to be persistent in praying for these things. And if you don't get the answer today, you keep praying. And if you don't get it next week, you keep praying. And we'll have more to say about that in a few minutes. But that's what he's talking about. And, and Jesus said that when you do that, God will answer those prayers. He's saying, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. In other words, Jesus wants us to understand that when we come to the Lord, when we come to God with prayers that are specific and persistent, in terms of of asking for God's wisdom and help in speaking to a brother or sister about their their sin, God will answer those prayers. That's the point. You see, making sure that that his children are obedient to him is, is very high on the priority list. It's a critical issue to God. That's really what his heart is. He wants his children to walk with him in obedience. And if they're in sin, he wants us to confront them. That's high on his priority list. And it's our responsibility then to love our fellow Christians so much that we refuse to stop praying to the Lord for his help and wisdom and ministering to that person until we receive answers to our prayers. This is the heart of God. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to help others to walk with him. Now, let me put this in some kind of perspective so you can see how important this, this truth really is and why we so desperately need to persevere in asking for God's help. Let's say, for example, that you know a Christian man, Christian husband, who doesn't treat his wife very well. He's insensitive to her. He's thoughtless. He's oblivious to her needs. He just sort of has the idea, I snap my fingers and you come running, that type of thing. Or you know a Christian wife who doesn't respond very well to her husband, doesn't treat him well, doesn't show him any respect. She's not nice to him. What do you do? Well, you've got to, if you know that person, you ought to speak to them. Or, you know, a believer who appears lifted up with pride. Power has gone to his head. He's, he's bossy. He's controlling. He wants to tell you how to live your life. He's a know-it-all. Or a brother or sister in Christ who's too harsh, nasty in the way they talk to others. Or someone who claims to know Christ who has an anger problem. They're, they're, they're just always just uh, below the surface, about to erupt. Or a critical spirit, a hypercritical spirit. Or someone who claims to know Christ but just doesn't forgive others. They claim to be forgiven, 
They don't forgive others. They might even give excuses why they, they it's, it's, that's not valid. No. Well, how do you confront someone like that? How do you deal with them? How do you confront someone about those types of sins and many more? What do you say to them so that they're not insulted, so they're not offended? How do you even begin to approach them so that they'll be open to listening to you? How do you bring it up in a gracious manner that won't be misunderstood? In other words, how do you speak to someone about a speck in their eyes so that they'll be receptive to what you have to say and not be turned off? After all, you want them to be receptive. You don't want to just have the attitude, let me get this over with. You want to help them. You want to help them for the, for the Lord's honor and glory. Well, Jesus said that the first thing that you need to do after taking the, the log of self-righteousness and pride out of your own life is you need to begin to pray with such determination that you refuse to stop praying until God gives you wisdom and, and knowledge and understanding and sensitivity and love in your heart for this person. And included in our prayer should be the ongoing petition for God to work in this believer's life and make them receptive to address this sin in their life. You see, so often when we, when we, we see sin in a believer's life, what's the first thing we do? We so often go and speak to somebody else about it rather than that person. We want to speak to another Christian rather than God. But the Bible says that God is the one you need to be speaking to. You go speak to another Christian who has nothing to do with this situation. It's called gossip. It's called slander. You need to speak to God about that. And you can trust God to give you wisdom and help. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, then let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now let's apply this. For example, some of you wives may be at wit's end trying to figure out how to help your husbands become more spiritual. You're growing in the Lord, but you don't see it in his life. You're active in church. You're involved in, in Bible study. You're sharing your faith, but, but he's sort of nowhere. He comes, but, and you've got a great burden about this. Has it ever occurred to you that, that what God wants you to do, instead of worrying about this or maybe nagging him, is to seek the Lord in prayer? Serious, intense prayer for your husband, maybe, maybe fast, but serious, intense, persevering, prevailing prayer for your husband's spiritual growth. Some of you parents may be frustrated with your children. You love the Lord, and yet you, you see them kind of going astray. You don't want them to do some of the things that you did when you were younger, and you know that they need to walk with Christ. What, what do you do in that case other than, than talk to them about the truth, which you should? Certainly. Have you ever considered spending time in intense, serious, persistent prayer for them? And don't give up until you get the answer. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. Ask and seek and knock on God's door until he opens up and gives you the wisdom and the the help that you need in, in this whole area. Now, a valid question to ask at this point is this. When we do seek the Lord in prayer like this, how does he answer our prayers? How would we know when it's time or when it's right and how to to go about all this? See, you're not going to hear voices in your mind. That's not the way the answer is going to come. You certainly shouldn't rely upon having a, a feeling in your life. We walk by faith, not by feelings. Listen, here's the key. It is assumed, though not mentioned here, it is assumed that those who are seeking God in prayer will also be spending time in his word. Time in his word, seeking out biblical principles that apply to your situation. 
Those who pray need to be looking to his word because that's where the answers are. So while asking God for his wisdom, we need to be diligent in our study of scripture where all the treasures of wisdom reside. Here's how John MacArthur, in commenting on this passage of Scripture, explains the process of looking to the Lord for answers and ministering to someone. He writes, God gives us many principles in his word, but he does not give us specific methods or rules for every conceivable situation. For one thing, situations keep changing and vary greatly from age to age and person to person. To give specific rules for every circumstance would require a giant library of volumes. But even more important than that, it is God's desire that we rely on him directly. He wants us to be in his word, and without being in his word, we cannot pray wisely or rightly. But even beyond our being in his word, he wants us to be in fellowship with him as our father. Along with his perfect and infallible word, we need his spirit to interpret and illumine, to encourage and to strengthen. He does not want us to have all the answers in our hip pocket. That's really good. He doesn't want us to have all the answers in our hip pocket. The Bible is a limitless store of divine truth with a lifetime of the most faithful and diligent, which, which a lifetime of the most faithful and diligent study will not exhaust. But apart from God himself, we cannot even fathom or start to fathom its depth or mine its riches. Now listen to this. In his word, God gives us enough truth for us to be responsible, but enough mystery for us to be dependent. That's good. He gives us his word, not only to direct our lives, but to draw our lives to him. What he's saying is the way to have wisdom as you're seeking the Lord in prayer is to also spend time in his word and gather the biblical principles and understanding from scripture that you need to, to approach a person. So, so we petition God and we are persevering in those petitions until the doors are open. And Jesus assures us in verse eight, they will be opened. You will get answers. Notice verse eight again. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be open. This is an incredible promise. This is a precious promise about answered prayer. But I'm afraid that this promise doesn't grip our hearts because some Christians read these, this verse and say, you know what? I know that, that the Bible is infallible. I know it's without any error. I know it's inspired. But I got to tell you, I don't think this is true. I don't think it's true. I've prayed for something long and hard and God didn't answer me. Folks, I, I think this is the, the very reason why so many Christians don't pray like we should because deep in our hearts, whether we verbally admit it or not, deep in our hearts, we really don't believe that prayer works. If we did, we'd be more diligent. We really don't believe that God is going to answer these prayers. And some would say, you know what? My experience confirms this. I prayed. God didn't answer. So I think it's important for us to stop at this point and analyze this promise that Jesus gave about answered prayer. No question, that's what he's saying. And we need to come up with some key biblical principles about the subject of God answering our prayers. I'd encourage you to write this down. I'm going to give you four principles about answers to prayer and specifically answers to this, to this prayer, this type of prayer that the Lord is talking about. I wish we had time to continue, but we will have to get together again next time to hear those four principles to answered prayer. I will tell you this, though. There is no magical prayer formula which will compel God to answer our prayers the way we want them answered. But we will deal with that more fully on the next Verse by Verse. Thank you very much for listening. This is Peter Silseth, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff. 
Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. You all play a major role in helping keep these classes on the air. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. We invite you to spend some time on our website, explore the resources, learn a little bit about Pastor Steve, or perhaps listen to the many audio files on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's lesson was the start of a three-part message. You can hear the entire message at once by ordering a CD or a cassette. Just give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Now let's all plan to meet again for the next verse by verse and see what else we can learn about prayer from Matthew chapter 7. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.